This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Total Saints podcast. We are the weekly Saints podcast, your home for all things Southampton Football Club. This podcast is being live streamed on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch and on YouTube. Our podcast is entirely supported by our loyal Patreon community because without you, we wouldn't be able to make this show every week. And we've got a new patron member joining us in the last seven days. So a huge thank you and a welcome to Nikki Nicholson, who's joined the Francis Benali tier. And Nikki says, I only found you guys a few few weeks ago where have you been all my life uh, well you found us now Nikki and we do really appreciate your support so welcome along we're working on the details for our first TSP event of the season at the moment looks like it's going to be just before Christmas we do a few of these throughout the season it's our chance to get to know you the people who support the show every month and have a good old discussion sometimes about football as well and we'll have more details on that at a later date probably when it feels more appropriate to talk about Christmas to be honest but just keep an eye on our socials and on your Patreon in box for that one. I'll have more information on how you can join us in our Patreon community coming up in just a moment. This week on the podcast, after the horror show that was Leicester, we had the chance to bounce back four days later against Ipswich, but that didn't quite go to plan. A trip to bottom of the table, Middlesbrough, should have been the perfect opportunity to turn the poor runner form around, but this is Southampton. And the games don't get any easier. Leeds United come to St Mary's this weekend. Darren from LS11 Leeds United podcast is hopefully going to be joining us a bit later to preview that one. So my name's Martin Stark and I'm joined by our regular contributors. Steve Grant is the owner of Saints Web. Glenda Lacour is the writer of the blog League One Minus Ten. And Alfie House is the senior Southampton reporter at the Daily Echo. All underpinned by our TSP patrons, this is episode 244 of the Total Saints podcast. Your home for everything Southampton FC. From dedicated Saints insight to exclusive interviews. Live on YouTube every Sunday and available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is the Total Saints podcast. So before we kick things off, a quick shout out for our Patreon community. As I mentioned, their monthly contributions fully support the show and we couldn't make TSP without their support. There are four tiers ranging from £5 to £20 per month. And aside from supporting the podcast, each of those tiers has different perks like access to an ad-free version of the pod. There's exclusive TSP t-shirts and merch bundles. We've also got the TSP FPL, uh, access to our TSP events that I mentioned at the start of the show and much more as well. If you're in the FPL 
by the way. We're going to check in on the points next week and see how everybody is doing. If you want to get involved in supporting TSP each month, just head over to patreon.com forward slash Total Saints podcast for more details. All the links are in the podcast show notes and you'll find it in the YouTube description as well. Let's get on to the football. Which of the disappointing defeats shall we start with? I'm thinking we go Ipswich, we do it in chronological order. Let's get this one out of the way first. Uh, We knew it would be a tough evening. Ipswich playing well, an established team, well organised, very much the team with momentum at the moment. But they were playing in League One last year and this was a home game. So a 1-0 defeat was disappointing to say the least. Um, Glenn, I know the answer to this because I've read the blog, but when you (laughs) saw that team news, was that the moment that any hope evaporated for you? Um, It it wasn't the moment that any hope evaporated, but I I was literally walking up from Ocean Village towards the ground. And uh, usually I haven't got time on the evening games to go for a pint, but the, uh, but the, the team news sort of came through. And I thought, I'm I'm not watching that midfield without at least having one drink. Um, <laughs> and it's just one of those things you, you don't like to have all the wind taken from your sails at the at the start of the game. But I just it was just one of those things where you just thought, I just can't see how that is going to be an improvement on what we had against Leicester, where a lot of the problems were our sort of our legs in midfield, our our tracking back, our intensity, and um, yeah, bringing Joe Rebo in as the one change it didn't really strike me as the kind of thing that was going to um, going to improve um, those areas. So anyway, putting that behind me and having had a pint, got to the ground, game started, and we we didn't cough up a goal in the first couple of minutes. You know, we looked like we were you know a little bit more pragmatic with the way we were playing in um, sort of nearer our goal. So that was that was okay. Not much really happened for the first sort of 20 minutes. No real chances. Um, and then the the obligatory mistake. And unfortunately, it was Shea Charles again uh, taking too long over clearance. And, um, you know, I think it was one one pass or two passes later. And uh, and it's a, it's a good finish, to be fair. You know, and, it, and it's in the net. And then, as uh, Russell Martin has pointed out, we, we kind of went to pieces for the last 20 minutes of the first half. And we would just seem to be spending it trying to give Ipswich another goal. We sort of like gave them sort of two. I think Aribo made a mistake that ended with a shot. And then Charles missed a ball in, you know, centre back, let it bounce over him. And that was another chance that we got away with. Yeah, they had that one that hit the bar, didn't they? And then the guy put the rebound wide. And, and so we really could have been two, three down at half time. And, and Ipswich really hadn't done anything other than. You know, they hadn't created anything. I, To be honest, overall, I, I was a little bit disappointed with Ipswich. I thought they'd be better than that, but they didn't have to be because we gave them the chances. You know, we gave them the, the, the chance they needed to score. And then, I mean, you, you mentioned it at the start, they were organised and that was all they needed to be. Our attacking play wasn't great. A lot of the sort of movement that movement ahead of the ball that characterised our sort of early season games and the, and the pre-season games just, just wasn't there. And I thought at half-time, Russell Martin could have taken all three of those midfielders off and it wouldn't have made the game any worse. But he, he, didn't, he didn't do anything. And, the, you know, the... The changes were left far too late, and Stuart Armstrong and Alcaraz came on and and made a bit of a difference. But it was it was too little, too late. So uh, the game kind of petered out. I think we had one chance in the second half where Che Adams managed to find a new way of hitting the goalkeeper from uh, 
in the face <laughs> in the face from about from about three foot out but uh yeah i mean if that goes in then the um you know it's a kind of different narrative and the same the same you know, I know we're going to get onto the Middlesbrough game. The same mm. there. If he sticks in that chance in the first couple of minutes and the chance against it, which we've probably got four more points, but as it is, um, we haven't. And it's a uh, and uh, Ipswich was a was a a, a disappointing defeat. Um, and I, I don't think overall that you know Russell Martin did himself any favours because I don't think there's a single fan or pundit or anyone who would have picked you know that team. Uh, and that's that's a bit that's not a problem if it works and you get a decent result. But if you get a bad result and a bad performance, then people start asking questions, and that's uh, that's kind of what's happened after the Ipswich game, and that's that's carried on to the Middlesbrough game. I want to have a little chat about who we think the three best midfielders are, who we think should be starting. So if you are watching live, just just let us know. Just leave us a comment. Let us know who you think the three best midfielders are, who should be starting. Um, Steve, team selection to one side. It's these mistakes. They're just getting beyond the joke now, aren't they? You, you think every time another one happens, you just know that it's going to come again. It was just awful. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those where you kind of think, well, okay, we're, we're playing high-risk football, so mistakes are going to happen. So ideally, you want to make those mistakes as far away from your own goal as possible or when you've got as much cover as possible. So obviously, your defensive midfielder who's playing centre-back for reasons, God knows why, tries to bring it out and basically has... I mean, my position in the Northern actually gives um, quite elevated, gives you quite a good sort of wide view of, of, the, of the pitch and seeing how kind of the players are, mo- are shuttling, the play moves sort of shuttles from side to side. And you can see the movement of the players, or in our case on Tuesday night, yeah. the complete lack of it. And you could see that literally our three midfielders were just stood still in various positions, at least 40 yards from um, from Shea Charles when he um, when he receives that ball from, uh, from Bazunu. And he's basically got no options. And obviously the team kind of instruction is to either try and play your way out or you find a passing angle. And obviously with no passing angle, because there isn't a Saints player within 40 yards of him, he's tried to play his way out and yeah, has, has been has been mugged because he's got three men on the, on him. And yeah, one um, one simple through ball and a, and a good finish from, from Hutchinson, who I thought was basically Ipswich's only real sort of player doing anything. They, they, they didn't, didn't, they were solid, but completely unspectacular, which must have been, as, as Glenn said, I was I was quite surprised by. But yeah, we we've kind of set ourselves up for the fall, haven't we? With with this, I think I mean everyone knows how how we're going to play, and I think there was there was a not unreasonable thought process in the summer that well, okay, we're we're obviously going to have the ball a lot anyway, so why not try this try this method? And it's had kind of mixed success at its two previous clubs. And you think, well, okay, we've got better players than those two teams have um, or had at the time. So, okay, well, maybe maybe these players can be better at executing. I mean, I think these these last handful of games have shown the evidence that perhaps not. And and the pro- and the problem you've also got now is that the fans are have have basically made their mind up. Yeah, um, yeah. you've got away fans giving the manager abuse at the end at the end of the game you've got home fans if they're even bothering to stick around to the end uh, basically booing every single misplaced pass doesn't matter whether it's a whether that's a pass that's that's been misplaced as a result of um, the system 
or even if it's a misplaced pass that actually had a really, really good sort of attacking, aggressive intent to it. Um, you misplace a pass, oh, you're getting dogs abuse from people. Clearly, it doesn't help. But at the end of the day, we've got a fan base who are, who are extremely used to watching us play pathetic losing football. And having dropped down a division, there was, there was a not unreasonable expectation that we might see some positive winning football. And while like the first handful of games against pretty mediocre opposition, we did enough. And you could see that there were signs of some sort of progress, maybe. And the fans were happy to kind of get get behind it and and support it. Um, that's turned very quickly on on the strength of basically what what people see as refusing to learn lessons. And it's great to have an ideology, but that ideology has to be adapted to an extent. I mean, talk about this kind of the sort of biggest manager with sort of ideological sort of stuff that he imports onto his players. Pep Guardiola, when he first came in with City, defensively, they were an absolute train wreck because of the way that he wanted them to play out. And they adapted. He, I mean, he didn't come out publicly and say, yes, I've, I've changed this because, um, because yes, you were right. I, I got it wrong. That's, that's not, that's not his, his way of doing things. What he did was in, in private, they, they made adjustments that meant that they weren't so vulnerable on transition. And I mean, Russell Martin clearly isn't Pep Guardiola. Yeah, you think we're going to need a lot of adjustments that are going yeah. on in private if we're going yeah, to. I mean, and and I think most of that comes from midfield. I think mm. you get the structure in midfield right, and automatically the defence has a lot more protection. There were certain like we were we were better in through the middle for the first hour or so. I thought on Saturday, and for the last half hour on Tuesday, which coincided with Shay Charles playing in playing in the centre of midfield, and so that that was that was something that it looked as if. We've learned. Well, that's something. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, which, which which is which was basically the only positive I could come out with from from Tuesday night. I think was that okay. Well, the subs he made and and the fact that he moved he didn't take didn't take Charles off as a centre back. He moved him into midfield, and all of a sudden we had a little bit of control mm-hmm. in that area. We didn't do the inverted fullback rubbish either yeah. against Ipswich, yeah. which, which meant we had a mm-hmm. proper back four in place yeah. for most of the time. And as Steve said, when Charles went to midfield and Bednarek came on, it, it suddenly looked a lot better. And he was obviously going to keep that for Middlesbrough. Not. Alfie, what did you make of Tuesday? Um, because obviously we've talked about Joe Aribo coming in, but he, we didn't lose that game because Joe Aribo played, did we? You can see why he would come in and, and he gave his reasons for it afterwards. He, he, he played in a couple of, I think, was it behind closed doors games? Yeah. And he said he had a good good week training. So he'd obviously earned his, his place in the team. Yeah, I said that he wasn't the reason they lost to Glenn. I'm not sure Glenn agreed at the time. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think he still does. <laughs> no, look, in terms of the setup, and, the, and I said at the time, the tactical setup, the way they set up, Glenn's actually mentioned what I was going to say. They, they stopped this inverted fullback nonsense. I felt that um, the midfield was slightly more, well, it was an attempt to be slightly more balanced. It wasn't. It was an attempt to be, uh, and he got it totally wrong. But I felt the actual setup was, was slightly more pragmatic. You know, I think he'd learned from the fact they'd been hammered twice in a row. And as a result, they didn't actually concede that many, I mean, that many big chances, really. You know, obviously, the goal came from, from another era. Um, I think there was maybe one more, one more but in that 15-minute period where, for whatever reason, they absolutely completely fell apart. But I thought again, they were they were 
on top for the second half. But I think, you know, looking back at it, maybe Ipswich were more than happy for them to be on top because they looked at them and thought, well, they're not going to get through our back four. We're pretty solid. Uh, none of those guys are actually going to score from range or, or create something magic. And they're happy just to to see the game out and get the 1-0 win as they did. But I thought something that was interesting that it definitely illuminated was after the game, Russell Martin said that um, something on the lines of this group has been fractured and divided for a long time. And I don't think that's sorted. And now I, now I think about it, now I look back at it and, and based on what I've seen on Saturday as well, which I'm sure as mentioned, we'll, we'll get on to, you know, Jason Wilcox alluded to that. Russell Martin has said that several times that there's no leaders in the group. Now, my colleague George asked um, Russell this week about, you know, leaders. Why is Adam Armstrong the captain? Who else was there? And, you know, he doesn't really feel there's any other option. He says that Jan Bednarek could be a leader, but he stopped short of saying that he actually is. Um, and then you look around a team that there's nobody there and it's it's the same, a lot of the same players from last season. Um, and I think that there's a massive mentality deficit. I think for all the mistakes that Russell Martin may or may not have made, I think the um, the players the players crumble. The players, they don't believe in themselves. Um, whether they believe in the manager or not, I don't know. You know, Sam Adozi will tell us that they do. Um, and you'd like to think that only eight games into the season, they still would. But I don't, I don't right now, believe in them, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think they've got it in them. Um, right now, they need to find something from within them, or find something from elsewhere. You know, the recruitment last year was was really poor. We've spoken about that. They probably didn't recruit the right people. And something that Russell said all summer was, you know, when we're when we're recruiting players, when we're looking for players to come in, it's not just experience we want. We do want experience. We want quality, but it has to be the right character. It has to be the right person. They kept saying that, which makes me think they've identified this summer that what they got in last year was not the right characters. And as a result, we've seen a load of them go out the door. So I think there's a massive problem with mentality, and we saw that again on Saturday. And I think. Yeah, for all the flaws of the system and for the risks they're taking, I think that the players should be able to do a lot better than they are. Um, even if they even if they weren't given any instruction at all and just told to go eleven versus eleven, I think they should be doing a lot better than they are. There is a, another valid point in there, I think, about the the transfer window and whether we got rid of enough of the people that don't want to be there. And I'd like to to get onto that in a minute. But just to to sort of bring it back to the the midfield, Glenn. Obviously, um, yesterday's comments about um, Alcaraz and why he's not starting, not the right time for him to start. Um, we know that he doesn't speak English, and I think he alluded to it yesterday. He's lost his his translators in Lianco and and Willie Caballero. Is there more that the club should be doing? Um, because we paid a lot of money for this guy, you know. That was my and, first and, thought, yeah. And and yeah, we paid a lot of money for him, and, and he's obviously a good player. So are we just going to wait until he can can learn a bit of English, or is there some more stuff going on off off the pitch? Um, well, it sounds rubbish on the face of it, doesn't it? Because how much does a translator cost? Hmm. I mean, you know, just I mean, we had that that one that, funnily enough, we're playing Leeds, aren't we? We had the the one who sat next to Bielsa in every press conference. So, surely, as well, when he yeah, he surely started. they can yeah. That 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 sounds like a, a strange excuse for not playing him. You think he's just not settling? Is that it? Or... I don't know. I mean, you know, you the discussion of the the midfield. He he was trying to be more pragmatic up at Middlesbrough with both Downs and Charles in there, and you'd think a player like Alcaraz would be the perfect sort of balance um, for those two being in there but um, but apparently not I can I can understand them saying something along the lines of you know it's very detailed what we're trying to get him to do and he and he doesn't understand I, I can kind of understand that but it doesn't really on the other hand it doesn't really make any sense everyone's got Google Translate yeah, <laughs> I think when I spoke to Russell last at the training ground a couple of weeks ago, I mean, he mentioned then that Charlie had a couple of days off during the international break because of some family circumstances at home. So I think that there is a there's a, yeah. perhaps a mental block on him right now that the last few weeks probably haven't been brilliant for him. I don't know if that's related to um, his father's illness or something to do with his girlfriend. I'm not 100% sure. 
but there is other things at play. But with that being said, the idea of not being able to understand the system and then therefore you can't come on for the final 10 minutes at Middlesbrough. At the end of the day, the system goes out the window in the final 10 minutes. one nil down. Russell Martin said himself they completely sacrificed all stability to go gung-ho and that's why yeah. Middlesbrough punched them. So then surely that's the 10 minutes where you don't need to speak English. What you need to do is get the ball in the edge of the area and shoot like you did four times last season. So that's one thing yeah. that's agreed with Russell Martin on. I just find it odd that you know he's not he's saying he's he's not mentally right to start or he's I might be paraphrasing or putting words into his mouth there but it's not the right time I think for him to start but it's okay for him to sit on the bench and then yeah. not come on if he's got uh, issues so, at home, if he if he's got issues at home then let him go back to Argentina for a couple of weeks and then no one's sorted. asking the question are they but whilst he's sat on the bench doing nothing and Joe Rebo's on the pitch people are going to be asking questions. Steve, what about you for the the best three midfielders? Is it um, Alcaraz? Is he is he one of those three that we just need to maybe bide a bit of time and and and, and let him get over the the issues he's got going on? Does he is he starting in that that midfield alongside the likes of Flynn Downs, who's been all right? Um, I think you've been generous on Downs there. It's one of those where he's not played very many games, and how how quickly do we expect these players to be up to speed with? I mean. Obviously, he knows the system, but obviously there are variations because he's playing alongside different players now. So you, in any in any system where the manager has a kind of blueprint, if you like, that he takes from club to club, in that um, squad environment, because you're not picking up the same players and taking them with you, um, there's always variances, and you and you have to kind of cope with. Well, uh, okay, at Swansea, I I had really I had a really good centre forward that that we had had as an outlet, and it was and you've got a guy who's scoring 20 goals a season. So you always had that um, had that threat going forwards. Do we have that this season? I mean, not wholly convinced at the moment. So it's, yeah, you've, you've got to take those into consideration. But in terms of Alcaraz, I would, I think from an attacking um, perspective, yeah, I would, I would love to have him on the pitch starting games. But I mean, there's, there's certainly an issue in terms of his defensive contribution. And I think if you're playing in a midfield role, then it's not unreasonable for there to be expectations on um, on you to help out defensively. And at the RZ game, I had one of the club analysts sat sat right behind me, and he was doing his absolute nut the the lack of the lack of tracking that he was doing. Literally every every time every time the ball got given away, he lost his man, and there were kind of sort of arms flailing and and sort of shouts of Charlie what. Um, what are you doing and 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 this sort of stuff so i think there are there are positional issues with with alcaraz but he's also clearly one of the most talented players that we've got and ultimately a real good real top man manager is a is a guy who kind of makes squeezes the the good stuff out of a player like that whilst kind of persuading all of the others look we've got this we've got this real talent here Let's try and help him out by doing a little bit more of his defensive work for him. If we can get that, I mean, let's be honest, we stayed in the Premier League for about 15 years solely as a result of that tactic. Um, <laughs> so it's not as if we've not we've not done this before. So yeah, it's that that's that's the sort of thing I, I'd like to see if he's going to be playing on a regular basis. You've got to you've got to come up with a way of covering the bits that you know he's not he's not good at over time sure he's gonna he's gonna improve but i think kind of at this at this point in time we're now in right results are kind of all that matters and performance not really that not really that bothered as long as we start getting some points on the board again 
If I had a penny for every time Ruben Sellers lost his rag with Charlie Alcaraz based on positional uh, <laughs> now, so I wouldn't have had to go to you know, five, drive five hours and back to Middlesbrough twice yesterday. <laughs> so I think it's definitely something there. I just want to chat a little bit before we move on about the atmosphere as well, because uh, I think it was Rob who got in touch uh, on the email. He was talking about the atmosphere at the game, and he was saying, you know, managers and players often talk about fans being like a 12th player. Uh, Rob says he was at the Leicester game, and the amount of booing as the team came on for the second half was shocking. He says, uh, I understand that performances have been at a level we would, uh, haven't been at a level we would like, uh, but fans need to lift the team during the full 90 minutes and not drag them down every opportunity. The reason I say that is, and the reason I wanted to talk about that is because, of course, we've got a home game coming up and I just know that the, the atmosphere is going to be um, pretty fragile, to to say the least. It's not helping, Glenn, is it? But it, it's kind of like a catch-22 situation. It's like a vicious circle. If they just won a bloody game, then actually the atmosphere would change on a season. Yeah, I think well, Steve covered it pretty well earlier on as to, as to what the what the issues are. So I moved seats this year, so I'm in the sort of chapel itching corner and the atmosphere there has actually been pretty good yeah back in the chapel lads i didn't know yeah. what it was but they're making a racket to be fair to yeah them. they are and and it's you know it's 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 been i mean the norwich game was tremendous you know it was really really good the um the, the leicester game was pretty rotten to be fair because obviously we started giving goals away after 20 seconds so so that, that wasn't great ipswich wasn't bad but it did get a little bit apathetic in the second half but it didn't really descend to sort of people around us anyway, sort of booing and stuff like that. I think people got frustrated. And I think there's a, there's a difference with that. You know, a misplaced pass, people, you know, people get frustrated and they might go, oh, my God, throw their hands up sort of thing. But there's a difference between that and actually sort of volley of abuse at, at people, which, which as you say, is, is never helpful. But it's, uh, you know, the fans have got to, got to do their bit but it mainly comes down to the players to do theirs the fans will get behind it if they can if they can see something happening and in in the last couple of home games there there hasn't been a lot happening we were out of the Leicester game after five minutes really or certainly after 20 minutes when we went 2-0 down and then the, the hammer blow just before half time and and the Ipswich game again it was the it was the mistakes that um, they kill the mood as Steve said that that's kind of almost what's expected now and people are just waiting for it aren't they so yeah everyone everyone has to do their bit and try and stay positive but it it is it is very difficult when the same mistakes keep coming in game after game but again against Leeds you know as as far as I'm concerned it's a it's a new day it's a new game and we've got to try and um, try and go from go from the start get behind the lads and and hopefully they can um, they can get through 90 minutes without any major defensive howlers. And even if we draw nil-nil. Oh, that'd be I, a miracle. It, yeah, I, it, it was yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a miracle. Okay, it's, I'm, a ter- it's a turning point, right? It's a turning yeah, point. Yeah, honestly, this is only water I'm drinking. I'm not even <laughs> Can't see what's in it, but it is just water. But, you know, if we yeah, 90 minutes of effort and draw nil-nil, I think, I think people yeah. would take that because you could see that was a positive step forward. Whereas the you know last four games there haven't been many uh, many positive steps that people can get behind. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, let's get on to the weekend. Let's get on to the Middlesbrough game. I mean, if ever there was going to be a fixture which would give you hope, then surely it's got to be a trip to the team at the bottom of the table. But true to form, we gifted them their first league win of the season. Uh, Steve, you were there. You made the trip. How bad was it? Because, I mean, to me, the first 15 minutes seemed all right. And then almost it, it, it went wrong after we'd scored. Yeah, I mean, that was... One thing that kind of Russell Martin did actually kind of identify correctly in his uh, post-match post-match interview was the baffling response to us going in front was to basically decide, oh well, this is us done. We'll just kind of take <laughs> it easy for the for the rest of the game, and it was bizarre. I mean, we I don't think we played particularly well even in that sort of early period when when we were probably just about on top because Borough. Borough kept finding outlets down both flanks. I mean, Walker Peters at least had a bit of support from Ryan Fraser in the first half. Um, Holgate had absolutely no support whatsoever from Adam Armstrong playing on the opposite flank. And as a result, their um, left back had the freedom of the Riverside for for most of that first half. And I, I suspect that's partly partly a reason for Holgate's insanely heavy touch, the sort of Colton Palmer control from the mid-90s, where he's, he's overhit it. And whereas... If he if he if he'd had support around him, if he knew that he had his right winger just sort of twenty yards away from him, he could easily have played played a first time little pass around the corner to him, and we'd have been on the counter attack again, and there'd have been absolutely no danger whatsoever. But yeah, again, we've got our slightly ropey defence being left completely exposed. Hmm. I mean, Holgate didn't obviously didn't cover himself in any glory, but. Um, with that goal especially but other than that he was kind of okay I thought the, Is there a good player in there do you think is it it's <laughs> going to work out alright I mean there's probably a player in there whether he's good or not I don't know um, <laughs> but the, pro- the problem is that I mean he's had he had 60 minutes which um, I mean may- maybe the solution is just not to not to let him travel to the northeast ever again <laughs> because obviously he had 60 minutes of, with an abs- absolute shocker at um, at Sunderland, yeah. forty-five minutes um, here, where essentially he's been sacrificed at half-time, and and Martin has tacitly admitted that he's that he's basically hauled him off and and mm. brought Manning back in. Um, I mean, I'm not quite sure why why Manning was left out in the first place. I saw rumours of him being not quite fully fit or something, but tired, wasn't it? I yeah, I, on, I thought maybe I thought maybe it was a good opportunity to bring Holgate back in, a game where we ought to to get a decent result away from home. He has a really good performance and then he's he's heads back in the game. That was that was my first thought. And then of course he, well. he made the mistake and yeah, yeah. I mean Alfie a, a second goal would have killed the game off probably for us, but it just 
it was it was very very strange after we scored. Yeah. Um, in terms of the team selection, I mean, I, I actually thought the midfield was okay. To be fair, I agree with the, with Russell at the end that the midfield three was fine. Um, Will Smallbone, you know, should have had an assist. I know. I mean, when you look at it, there was not much creativity was there in that midfield three, and I and I and I do agree with that. But at the end of the day, the goal first goal came from Flynn Downs winning the ball back high up the pitch, which is a form of creativity in itself. And then you know the goal comes from that, and, and Will Smallbone should have had an assist if um if Chams could hit a barn door to, you know, twice in the week. So the, the chances were there to win the game. Yeah, the whole gate one is interesting. Like, like you say, Ryan Manning, I asked about him at the end of the game and he said that he was tired. And like you said, he's played a lot of games. He didn't have a full preseason. You've got to rotate in a 46-game season at some point and you've got to be able to trust the players that you bring in. And Mason Holgate had a couple of weeks off since that Sunderland one. Um, and I felt that maybe it was the right time mm. to bring it back in. On reflection, you know, I wonder what James Bree was thinking because James Bree in his own position now can't even get a game second choice. Um, and it makes you wonder why he's still here if they think that low level. I know he played against Gillingham and came out and spoke to us after that. He was pretty downcast then, but you just think, is he going to play a game ever again you know, for this club? Possibly not. And the reaction to scoring was just, you know, I drove home obviously for sort of four and a half hours. And I think about 12 times, I just, we had me and George having a conversation and I would, the conversation would stop and I would go, oh, I can't believe they lost. About generally 10, 11, 12 times. I couldn't believe it. And then when they up, I thought that was an absolute banker. Good, good touch and finish by Adam Armstrong, by the way, and yeah. a good sound mm. from Chad Adams as well to give him credit. Um, but I, just, I can't believe about, about the only thing Shay did all, all afternoon. Yeah. To be honest. yeah, yeah, and you know, I don't, I don't know what the the difference is between Che in August and Che in September. Well, apart from obviously the you, know, you could say playing for a move, I don't know how much that actually impacts him, but I think maybe it does because it's two years in a row now. And a massive shame. And then the second half, they were they were torn apart in the second half, the sort of first final thirty minutes. Sorry, and it could well have been four five again. It could have been, you know, they hit, they hit the post. I think Bazuni made a really good save on um, on the eventual goal scorer. Howard Bellis had a, had a really bad day. And we all know that he's going to be a good player. He has to be. He's done it already for Burnley. Uh, but there's just such a lack of leadership at the back that I don't think anyone believes in himself. Like you put a comment up a minute ago saying Holgate didn't get a call that someone was mm-hmm. behind him. And now you were on that side, Steve, so you'd have heard better than I did. But it looked that way for sure. And, you know, Howard Bellis in the middle of the park twice in about two minutes in the second half. Balls bouncing up, and he just misjudges both of them, or gives one away, and they're in behind counter straight away. And you just think these are players who should be good enough, and I can't put my finger on on why they're not. Um, and obviously, there's a few reasons. Yeah, Howard, Howard Bellis got completely bullied by by their big lad up front, and you would have thought that. I mean, maybe maybe there should have been a little bit more communication between him and Jan Bednarek to say, well, okay, I'm not winning anything against him. Why don't you have a go? I mean, I don't know the. I mean, obviously, I'm no sort of Premier League tactic, Premier League or Championship level tactician, but I mean, surely there's scope for players to sort this mm. stuff out between themselves. But that's yeah. the thing. There's, there's in, a clear deficit, these, though, isn't it? There's, there's yeah. no no one taking charge of the situation. Nobody taking control on the pitch. I think we saw that again. What was the game before um, before Leicester? There was a game where they, they, it might have been Leicester. Actually, I'm thinking it might have been Leicester, where they're taking short free kicks and it's going four or five yards wider. People and people just no stand there watching, waiting for the next person to get yeah. it. Yeah, we, nobody's oh, taking charge. Of course, we almost conceded from our, our own corner again. Yeah, again, yeah. Um, yeah. Which was a short corner taken in a rush that didn't, mm. that really didn't need to be taken. Yeah, just a complete, complete head head loss in that second half. Once we went one nil down, it's the manager's job to, to pull that together. And I think I do honestly believe that he's got a tougher task than I thought he did at the start of the season. I thought this was a squad that was, you know, promotion ready. Uh, but the best you can hope for now is playoffs. So I, I think there's absolutely, I know we're only eight games in and you can't make sweeping statements, but the automatics look an absolute mile off. And mm. that was the aim at the start of the season. So something's got to change quickly. And I, I don't necessarily mean the manager, I just mean something's got to be fixed and the mentality's got to come in. And is there any free agents that are available that have actually played a game of football well in the last couple of years? 
that can lift uh, and, and a voice at the back, maybe. Glenn, I know even Dana from the Borough podcast last week predicted that we'd win 2-1. So um, <laughs> they, they, they weren't overly confident about getting anything out of it, but it was the equaliser before the break and, and that was just a sucker punch again. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, I found Russell Martin's comments interesting that, you know, as, as the lads have both said, we went to pieces after we scored. Whereas against Ipswich, he was saying we went to pieces after we conceded. <laughs> so <laughs> doesn't leave a lot, does it? Um, and, and we know that we can't. Um, can't do we, can't, we can't manage the, the three or four minutes before half time because I think it's is it four times this season we've mm. let in a goal in that in that period. So um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's a it's a really bad defeat you know, putting aside the arguments over selection and styles of football and stuff like that. It's a really bad defeat to lose to a team who after seven games have only scored five goals or something. And, you know, we we gave them four or five really, really good chances to score. I know it's slightly misleading because we were, you know, chucking everybody forward for the last 10 minutes when they had a couple of good chances. But it's it's, it's a really bad defeat. And I just came away from the game sort of wondering, is it, is anyone capable of playing this style of football with championship level players? Or do you have to have Manchester City level players to play this kind of way and do it successfully? Burnley did it last season. More or yeah. To the back I, end of the Swansea, I mean, they won the last nine games of the season, whatever. They, if they say they it did, clip. but where did, where did they finish? They finished 13th. 10th. And, and yeah. that's, that's yeah, yeah. kind of where. Mm. that's kind of where I see us finishing at the moment. Maybe it's enough to win enough games to make you be 13th or whatever um russell martin seems to be pinning everything on it suddenly clicking mm. and we'll go on a run similar to what swansea had at the tail end of last season but at the moment we look miles off we look absolutely miles off we don't we don't look good enough up front and the defenders i, I mean i wonder if the defenders are buying into this because if if the midfield's not completely on it then the defenders are only going to end up looking bad. I mean, you go back to... Can't be any fun for them, can it? No, you you go back to that Ipswich game. Um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but... Harwood Bellis. Harwood Bellis with the ball a couple of times and he ends up booting the ball out of play and he's berating the midfielders in front of him because Aribo and Smallbone didn't want the ball. Adam Armstrong was miles away up front. And he was absolutely right. Should have been. Absolutely, he was right. And, And Shay Charles gives the goal away. Because he's looking up for someone to pass to, there aren't anybody there. He probably thought, oh, what shall I do? Fatal hesitation for a second, lost the ball, goal. So if you, I I, I do feel sorry for the defenders. And I, you know, I, I felt a bit sorry for Holgate because he got thrown into that game at Middlesbrough. We, know, we all know how key the fullbacks are to, to this system. He's not a fullback. And as far as I remember, he played most of his career at Everton at centre back. And he played in central midfield occasionally when they wanted to put, you know, Everton went always go for this dogs of war approach at some point, don't they? Where they just put a centre half in midfield, he just goes around kicking everything. So Holgate, I don't think he's really a right back. So he's been thrown in out of position and been expected to play that, as Steve said, with with no cover from the winger, which you would which you would normally get. So uh, so yeah, it's 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 a worrying defeat, and also. Every team who played in the championship last year knows how we're going to play. Hmm. That's There's no element of surprise for a team like Middlesbrough. They probably set up, Michael Carrick probably played against Swansea last year. I know what they're going to do. 
And um, what got me about the game as I watched it, though, you know, we created the chance for Adams and we scored the goal. High press, pass the ball forwards, score. And we stopped doing that. We completely stopped doing that. And then when we got the ball, it was slow build up, pass sideways and backwards as, as a first you know, as a, as a first resort rather than a last resort. No one was looking to pass forward anymore. Ryan Fraser, another one I felt sorry for because every time I saw him in the Ipswich game, he makes run after run after run, don't get the ball. Ryan Manning is deadly at turning back inside and just, you know, they're, they're not playing the obvious passes forward. To be honest, this has been a problem since the first game of the season. When, do you remember the Sheffield Wednesday game where Adam Armstrong played as the number nine? Mm. Barely touched the ball. Uh, Plymouth. Shay Adams played up front. 20 minutes, didn't touch the ball. We seem to bulk at actually passing the ball forwards along the ground sometimes. And that's that's when it all seems to grind to a halt and 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 become a mess. So, you know, what what I took from the Middlesbrough game was we've got to do we've got to do the basics and and look to pass the ball forwards. Otherwise, we are really, really going to struggle and teams are just going to sit in. And and you know wait for our wait for the sort of pressing triggers that they've got when the ball's getting passed across our back four and then we're going to be in trouble. So uh, it was a and, and I'm just hoping that you know Russell Martin can see not that exactly. I'm not saying I'm any sort of genius with this sort of stuff, but I'm I'm hoping that he can sort of like try and fix some of these what look to me to be quite obvious problems that that we've got with the basic structure of the team, and then hopefully things will be okay. I think it was, was it Wes Burns, Alfie, the, the interview that he did with one of the other papers where he said that we were really yeah. easy to read the passes um, yeah. and they could, it was so simple for them to work out what was going on and then we ended up just kicking balls away or out of field because they, they were getting there and they were knowing what angles and they were, were, mm. were cutting those out. That, yeah, that, it's, it's an easy thing to say when you've won the game, isn't it? But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very worrying thing to hear when it's about your team, um, if, if players and managers are coming into the game. And I actually asked Kieran McKenna at, at full time as well. I said to him, you know, did you prepare for the, the, you know, Southampton in any particular way? But unfortunately, the managers, they're all too too pally nowadays that he wasn't actually able to tell me. He said, no, we know Russell's a great manager. We know that Southampton will be a tough game. He didn't actually get into what they did specifically to prepare, which was a shame. So I wanted him to explain, if, if it's that obvious, then tell us because something needs to happen, but I suppose that's why I didn't. Does it stick in the throat a little bit, Steve, that Leicester are doing all right? Because there's a lot of stuff around at the moment about, um, I've had that Red Hot Chili Peppers and Scar Tissue song in my head all weekend because <laughs> they keep going on about bloody Scar Tissue and trusting the process. And we've had to change the style of play and we've got a new manager that's come in and they're starting from scratch. Well, Leicester have done the same, right? And they're they're first, aren't they, this, this weekend? And Leeds, uh, yeah. who we're going to get on to in just a minute, they're uh, are they fifth, I think. So it it kind of yeah. it just seems to be is it just us that's suffering with this this scar tissue and this hangover from relegation? We had more than them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, let's be honest. We were we were kind of sort of bobbing our heads on sort of above above the dotted line for a while, weren't we? Whereas Leicester certainly were nowhere nowhere near in danger until they were in danger um, last season. So I think the the kind of shock of shock to the system for Leicester has been has kind of been sort of swift and um and remedied quickly because at the end of the day they still they had a squad that should never have been anywhere near that position. Mm. Obviously they've sold a handful of handful of their top players from uh from the Premier League um era, but they've still got plenty of quality left and they managed to make um signings with some of the money that they that they recouped for the likes of Madison and Barnes and people like that. And I mean, I think the I think the biggest surprise has been the the 
complete resurrection of Yannick Vestergaard um, <laughs> as a as a first choice uh, centre back. I don't think don't think anybody anybody at Leicester, let alone I mean even Yannick himself would have um, seen that coming. So they've I mean they've they've obviously found they found a manager who's similar I mean, similar to Martin in that he's got a he's got a very well defined system and a very defined belief on how he wants the game to be played. Leicester basically managed to win the games at the start of the season whilst they were getting used to the system hmm. and have managed to keep going and they've built on they've built on that and the system is now kind of in full flow and they're and they're seemingly well set um and they may well kind of rush sort of drive off into the sunset in the next next two or three months um whereas we kind of muddled around a little bit thought um got got results but knowing that we were we were a little bit flawed but we didn't we don't seem to have used that time to make sure that we're comfortable in the Mm. system we don't look comfortable in this system at the moment uh players are low on confidence and yeah quite frankly at the moment it's a bit of a mess isn't it um leads leads look Leeds look a funny side. I mean, they've they've got a strong they've got a strong attack, haven't they? They've got Joel Pirro with with all the goals who we should have signed. Really, let's get on to that because Leeds are the next visitors to St Mary's on Saturday. As you said, Steve, I mean they're they're doing all right. Joel Pirro as well. Again, that someone we were linked with um, seems to be doing all right. But I mean, Glenn, what would you like to see from the team announcement on on Saturday? What's going to make you happy walking up from Ocean Village? What's going to keep you out the pub? Nothing. <laughs> or is it going to be two pints? Abs- absolutely nothing. Yeah, I'm going to go in ten o'clock in the morning. I'm going to start drinking. <laughs> I don't know really. I'd I'd like to see the defence that finished the game against Ipswich, with you know Ryan Manning and Walker Peters as the fullbacks. Downs and Charles. Um, I'd like to see either Charlie Alcaraz or Stuart Armstrong as the third midfielder, and then and then you got the the problem up the problem yeah. up front centre forward. We're struggling. Bearing in mind he's captain now with a hundred percent record, it would probably be uh, probably be Adam Armstrong, and then you've got two wingers, haven't you? Ed Dozy would be one, and then I don't know who else, probably Fraser. But uh, but I, I don't think that the team news is going to sort of define how the the game is going to go. Really, it's all about the attitude and 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 how we how we perform. Do we you know can we go without making mistakes at the back? Can we? Um, you know, can we keep the other teams under pressure by playing forward and uh, and uh, and being positive? So, uh, if we let in a goal, I'd like it to be because the other team have played through us and scored a good goal. I mean, if you look at goals we've let in last three games, I think a vast majority of them have been gimmies. Mm. Where I mean, certainly the the two at two at Middlesbrough, we've given them both away the goal against Ipswich we gave it away first goal against first two goals against Leicester gave them away and the fourth goal against Leicester was a, was a, was the joke everybody caught forward jobby wasn't it so uh, so i think um, yeah my mood is going to be defined by um by how we perform on the pitch rather than rather than the selections that he makes but uh, but no but i mean leeds leeds have kind of done the opposite to us they started poorly they had problems with players leaving players being loaned out players going on strike all this sort of stuff, and then once the transfer window closed, they they seem to have, um, you know, I think they've won two and lost, uh, won two and drawn two the last last four games. So they've done the opposite of us because as soon as the uh, transfer window shut, we've absolutely um, fallen mm-hmm. apart. So, um, and they look a decent side. They've they, they've kept a couple of good players from the from the Premier League days, and yeah, Joel Perot. That's um, well, I think we blew that the second we got into the compensation argument. 
with um, yes with Swansea. <laughs> Um, to be honest, because we were, you know, the bridges Joel, were burned, weren't they? Joel Perot and Nathan Wood were the two um, sort of like pretty obvious targets for us, and uh, we ended up not signing either. So, uh, so yeah, Perot's gone to Leeds, and he, he's done well. Would he have done as well playing up front for us the last four games? <laughs> I very much, <laughs> I very much doubt it. But he, <laughs> he, he kind of plays as a number nine, but he also plays deeper, and that's the role that he's um, that. Um, Russell mm. Martin has, um, has has got Adam Armstrong, for, you know, earmarked for. So that, maybe that's maybe that's the reason. Maybe Perot would have been too expensive wages wise. Maybe Ross Stewart's cheaper. Don't know. But yeah, he's he's gone to Leeds. He scored four in four, I think, and uh, he's certainly going to going to be one that we have to watch. Um, they've got a striker, haven't they? The it Jorginho Rutter, who yeah, they signed last season, didn't yeah. do a thing. And and now they they put him in the side and he he seems to be doing okay mm. but not scoring that many goals but he seems to be linking their t- linking their um, their attack together quite well so uh, no it's going to be a, a a very difficult game probably on par with the um, with the Leicester game I'd have thought it's going to be huge isn't it Alfie because five defeats makes it very very difficult for the manager yeah. and, and and there is a real possibility that I haven't seen anything in the last seven days to make me think otherwise it, it we could be looking at five defeats in a row here yeah that's the thing I, I am I'm, I'm worried about it I don't know what sort of long-term impact that will have um, if any but I can't see that those players going to St Mary's not making a mistake in the first 30 35 40 minutes and then I certainly can't see them responding well to that or, or, or you know, backing themselves and, and sort of getting over the atmosphere. I'm really intrigued to see what the atmosphere is because there's going to be no patience. I think Steve's already touched on it. Glenn's mm. already touched on it. There isn't going to be any patience this Saturday. Um, it's going to have to be a really fast start. And we haven't really seen that. Even in the games that Southampton won, I don't think on too many occasions did they really fly out the blocks and sort of take it to the opposition. Uh, but for me, the, the back six is settled now. You know, For me, it's very clear that Walker-Peters... Um, Bednarek, Howard Bellis, Manning, Downs and Charles has to be the back six, so to speak. That that for me is obvious. But then the four that you put in front of them, none of them really inspired me with too much confidence. You know, I think I think we could be looking at midfield with with Armstrong completing that again and then like say Dozy, Fraser and Adams and they're not necessarily necessarily firing. Kamadine Suleimana, I don't want to dig out individual players because I, I don't think it's the right to do, but Kamadine Suleimana is somebody that a lot of people at the club believe is a really, really talented player, somebody who's got a lot of quality. And he is somebody who's incredibly intelligent, very quick thinker, um, you know, able to pick things up. And, you know, we sort of mentioned that Georgina Rutter lad who didn't do a thing last season, but now he's come in and making an impact. It's a big loss losing Nathan Teller, you know, losing Warprouse, losing Nathan Teller, losing these guys. Um, Kamadine Suleimana, they, you know, they wanted to get somebody on deadline day, another winger. They didn't manage to do it, but at least they had Kamadine Suleimana, you know, ready to come in, in the ranks. But right now, we're not seeing anywhere near enough of him. There was one moment at Middlesbrough where there was five minutes to go, they're one nil down, and Carl Walker-Peters actually had to scream at him to move, go towards the corner kick and take the set piece. Why are you walking? We've got five minutes to score a goal. And it just, that's that urgency. And he's, I think that he's somebody who's really good. And, and I, retain some, I retain some hope about this, this squad and this team. And I, and I retain some hope about the manager because I think he's a really good person. I think he's somebody who, who can get the best out of people. But there are individuals that have to step up. We have to see more from them if they're going to have any chance of winning a game like Leeds at home on Saturday. They've had a pretty decent run as well, Steve. They had a good win at the weekend, didn't they? They beat, uh, was it Watford 3-0, I think? Um, So they're going to be coming in with their tails up and they're going to fancy getting an early goal and and, and making it a bit of a difficult atmosphere. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, four games without conceding a goal as well, which, um, I mean, we can only dream of statistics like that at the moment. Four (laughs) minutes would be a start. (laughs) Leeds are a side where 
if you can get kind of up in their faces, um, if you can get a lead in the game, then their fans are as likely as ours to turn on their own players. And it kind of doesn't matter what has come before it. They will, they're they're more than happy to let their let their players know what their thoughts are, sort of at that immediate moment. So yeah, the key the key is to get them get them quiet, get on get sort of push them back on on the back foot and and challenge them. But the 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 problem I see with our system at the moment isn't it's not even the individual mistakes because I think over time those do probably kind of reduce naturally when you're when you're a little bit more used to it but the problem i have with it is the is the speed of it or or lack of mm. everything is done at such a slow pace that it makes it so easy to defend against and it also means that it's reason, really easy to defend against at a high level they don't teams don't need to wait until we're um 30 40 yards from their goal um, before they they try and press, because they know that the the pass that's going through the lines isn't going to be of a it's not going to be of a pace that's going to cause any problems. Whereas what Leeds are doing, I mean, they're they're very it's a very basic setup. Basically, get the ball to the wingers, run and run fast, and they've been scoring goals as a result of it. They've got they've got two or three players who are capable of scoring 15, 20 goals a season. Obviously, Perot is the is the main one that we know of. I think Nonto's injured now, isn't he, for the foreseeable? So, um, so he's he's one that we don't have to worry about, which is handy because he obviously caused us issues last season. But then, Sinister, I think Sinister is still around, is he? No, he's gone to no, Bournemouth. Oh, Somerville. Was, Somerville, was, yeah. Somerville was still around. Somerville's the one. They've got Jaden Anthony around. from Bournemouth as well. Is he any good? I scored the weekend, so oh, okay, fair enough. Brilliant. Yeah, that that bodes well then. Um, <laughs> and of course, this Rutter um, fella. So they've they've got options up front, and they've got quite a bit of variety amongst them, which unfortunately we don't really have. We've got mm. basically Shea Adams is going to play through the middle, and for a bit of variation, Adam Armstrong might do. Um, other than that, we're it's yeah. I mean, what what other options are we are we presenting here at this stage? Um, Ross Stewart. Isn't going to be isn't going to be available to play until presumably after the international break at, at the earliest. So it does kind of call into question the the sort of rationale behind pursuing that signing rather than mm. rather than just kind of sort of taking the humble pie of having to go back to the negotiating table with Swansea. Let's get some score predictions for the weekend. I'm keen to see if anyone wants to predict that we're going to get a clean sheet. Uh, I, I can see a, re- a repeat of the weekend. To be honest, I, I can see us losing two one. Glenn, do you want to go first? No. Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I predict us to win every game this season, so I'm yeah. not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Oh, let's be let's let's be mildly optimistic that we're not going to get thrashed again. I'll go for a two-all draw. Well, okay. Uh, nice. Okay. Uh, Alfie. Yeah, like, I just want to sort of make a, an appeal before I do it that um, I, re- I do I do believe that you know that things will get better. They may get worse before they get better. I'm quite confident in that. I think there are some good players in the squad. Um, I really do. And I think you've got championship winners in the squad, at least one. Maybe it is only one. Uh, and I, I hope when Ross Stewart comes back, it does add another dimension. And things, if they click, can look brilliant. We saw Swansea. But this weekend, um, I'm feeling a little bit worried about this weekend. I must admit, I think that if anything goes wrong very early on, it could be quite a difficult place to play football in. And I'm not sure about what sort of response we're going to get. So I'm going to go for a, a 3-0 win to Leeds. But um, I do still back this team. But so you're saying with the caveat that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And then, yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, Steve. Yeah, I kind of agree with Alfie on on that front. I I struggle. I mean, after after standing through that ninety plus 
minutes yesterday up at the up at the riverside i find it very difficult to to raise any any sort of confidence that that this group of players has got it in them to to turn it around immediately mm. so i mean i think i think we might score but not with any great deal of confidence 3-1 leads Okay, I'm seeing lots of two nils and three nils in the predictions, so uh, do keep those coming in. Uh, don't forget, you can follow Total Saints Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Total Saints Pod. We're also on Instagram and Threads. It's at Total Saints Podcast if you're on there. And as you'll know, if you're watching this podcast on Sunday evening, we live stream TSP every week to our Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. Uh, we do love to hear from you throughout the week, so you can always drop us a DM on any of the socials, uh, or you can email us uh, via the website Total Saints Podcast at yahoo.com if you've got something to share. Uh, you'll also find us on Patreon. We mentioned this at the start. That's where you can support the podcast with your monthly contribution. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Total Saints Podcast. got four tiers on there, ranging from £5 to £20 per month. And each of the tiers comes with its different perks, including those weekly shout-outs for our patrons in the Francis Benali and the Mick Shannon tiers. So thanks to Dave Melton, Mark Atkins, Andy Hollis, Matt Hall, Anthony Thompson, Saints in Exile, Gavin Ford, James Harron, and Nikki Nicholson, who are in our Francis Benali tier, and also to Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy, Nick Higston, Phil Cook, Matt Rose, and Nick Reed in the Mick Shannon tier. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Steve. Thanks to Glenn. Thank you to Alfie. Uh, have a great week, and we'll see you again next Sunday. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.